0: Well, good morning. Good morning. Uh, I want to welcome you uh, to our church if you're visiting with us for the first time. Uh, we do have quite a few new faces in the crowd that I think are probably uh, uh, passing through or returning. Uh, and uh, so I thought maybe we could just uh, open it up because there's quite a few people. I know we got some teens here and some teen leaders from the Dublin church. Welcome, Team Camp is is here. That's exciting. And great to have you guys passing through. Um, some other uh it's great to have Andrew back. I shouldn't say it, but I will. The prodigal son has returned. No, he, no he's, not, he's, not, he's not that. He's not that. But he did leave us and it's hard for us to accept that. But welcome back, brother, from Russia. Great to see you. Uh, do you want to welcome uh, uh, Flavio and Deborah? We, we we obviously welcome them recently. I think they had both their daughters here now as well. Natalia and Anna Clara. So welcome. Welcome. We are excited to uh, uh, see the church growing from all over the world, and it's great to have our, our Brazilian family here We're all, all with us now, all, from, all here now, all together. Welcome, guys, and Ana Clara's going to a teen camp, so that's, uh, that's exciting, and uh, she'll learn a new form of English, I'm sure of that, um, as I am too, amen. Uh, anybody else I'm missing that's visiting that, uh, from other churches or family members, that I, 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 I? there's a lot of new faces here, I don't want to miss anybody. Oh, I want to welcome Bindu's father who's here with us today. Amen. Welcome, sir. Welcome. Welcome. That's great. Am I missing? Welcome. You want to do it, Tom? i from Spain visiting. Welcome. That's great. You got to do it yourself because I don't... Welcome. Welcome Connie. Welcome. Great. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Well, amen. Well, we do want you to feel welcomed and a part of our family. And uh, the family is always expanding and always growing, and that is very encouraging. And we are talking about some family matters as a church. Uh, We've been going through a spiritual series called Body Building. And it's all about building up the body of Christ. It's all about helping the church uh, through our study of Ephesians 4 to be all that we we can be uh, for Christ. Uh, And we've done two sermons so far. on the topic, Uh, and we really are looking at these building blocks um, that we find in the the book of Ephesians chapter 4, these eight building blocks, if you will, uh, that God uses to uh, build up the church. Um, And so we've talked about uh, how Jesus is the head of the church, and that is very clear, and he is by far the largest part of this uh, illustration here, uh, and and the only reason we can have it, right, as a church. Uh, But we looked at life... Uh, Over here on the left, uh, we talked about how really the Christian life is really a a response to God's grace. Uh, And uh, that's why we live a life worthy of the calling we have received, as it says there in chapter 4, verse 1. Then last time, we focused in on relationships and doctrine, uh, and how those two things are integral uh, to the building up of the body of Christ. Uh, And so I thought it would be good, uh, since we have a radio mic, and I think I can walk around, uh, to open it up for a moment and see uh, what people are learning, what... Just something briefly you're encouraged by, something that you've been you've been really thinking about, something that's really impacted your heart on um, this idea of bodybuilding so far. Does anybody have any thoughts uh, on, on this so far? Just briefly. Yeah, we, we looked at this a uh, family group last night and one of the things that came out was that perhaps we've got brothers and sisters in the church but we migrate to certain brothers and sisters in the church to, to have those chats with and, and get together with where there are other brothers and sisters in the church that we should make the effort to build relationships with. So, so some relational things to think about and grow in and, which is huge because we can't just say oh well the person's not in my family group or uh, well I don't really know that person because we're all connected as the illustration you know makes okay so this is kind of fun I get to kind of you know, interact here yeah we were um, in our discussion we were looking at how it is important for us to be on the same doctrinal page um, you know, when we are on the same doctrinal, doctrinal page, then we can definitely speak to each other as brothers and sisters and not get um, all huffy or anything like that, but just really see that it's for God and it's not about us, really. So. Anybody else? Well, I'm here in the back tripping over chairs. Two more here. Phil and then Claire, and then we'll wrap it. So we had a great barbecue at Forest House and we talked about relationship and doctrine and uh, for me I wanted to be able to pray for people more so I can uh, build a better relationship with them. That's for me. Uh, definitely I want to ask people what I can pray for them for. Thanks. Um, I went from the first sermon, went through um, Ephesians 1-3 to looking at all the blessings and spiritual blessings God gave us and it was just really an exciting study to see the depth and breadth of God's love and just help me motivate me more because I think my challenge is not to grow tired and weary but to keep being fresh and keep being in love with Jesus so yeah so hopefully we're all thinking we're all reflecting Uh, we talked about uh, at midweek last time I made this lovely illustration for you guys as well (laughs) yeah yeah amen If if you want to help me with my graphics let me know that's fine I won't take it personally but I like this a little bit that it's not perfectly, you know, drawn because it, it, it's a messy process. It's not so straightforward. It's not so simple because uh, first we, we, you know, we're diving into biblical truth and principles, and that's our study of Ephesians four. But just because we get what the Bible is saying doesn't mean we actually doesn't mean we actually know how to live it out. And so it's not just what does the word make clear, but then what are we doing as a church to really live it out? And so I hope we're really thinking about that, not just hearing a sermon and saying Amen, uh, but really trying to live it out. But then obviously we want to really talk to each other. Uh, we want to, we want to have a, a healthy dialogue as a, as a family group. And we want everyone in the church to be part of a healthy family group. Uh, you know, the theme is, you know, healthy people, healthy families, healthy church. And part of that is having great family groups. Um, and obviously having great families and hopefully in our, in our husbands and wives and sons and daughters, we're also talking uh, about these things. But then of course, some personal reflection because when you start talking to other people, you realize not everyone thinks the way you think. Not everyone sees it the way you see it. And it starts to challenge our own views that sometimes need to be challenged. But until we get it out there, whether it's right or wrong, how do we even know? Uh, you know especially when we're talking about biblical principles and how to live these things out. So that's why... Make your family group meetings. That's why, you know, attend the midweek services because we really want everyone in the church to be a part uh, of this process. But, of course, this is a wedge and it's supposed to kind of come down to a point, And that's what we hope we'll do at the end where we'll have deep biblical conviction. Uh, and with that biblical conviction, based on what we see in Ephesians 4, these building blocks coming together, we'll have great unity as a church. And so that's the hope, that's the prayer. But we really need every one of us to be engaged in that process. This is not... A leadership thing. This is a church thing. Uh, this is not a nice idea. This is what God wants the church to be. Uh, this is what we ought to already be in many ways when we read Ephesians 4, but we know it's always a work in progress. And so uh, it's been a great start, but I hope we will we will pick up the momentum. I hope that it will increase. I hope that it will get deeper and stronger and wider and lovelier and that we'll more and more build up this body of Christ together. And that's where it also I think is very important for us to keep the motive and keep the heart behind it. I came across this quote and I love it. It says, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up the men to gather wood, divide the work and give orders. Instead, teach them to yearn for the vast and endless sea. And we started this whole thing out talking about the incredible grace of God, the way that chapters one through three just God's just lavished us with His grace and blessed us with His presence. And so, at the end of the day, what we're building here and what we're going after is the the endless and vast love of God, the endless and vast grace of God in our lives. That's what, that's what we're going after. That's what this is all about. And so, so the what does matter, but the why will keep us going. And so let's keep that in our hearts and let's keep that fire burning uh to so do this together. And so let's continue to read here. We're going to read on now. Uh, we left off in verse 6 last week in Ephesians 4. And we're going to pick it up here in Ephesians 4 verse 7. Paul goes on um, to then say, But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, he goes on to say, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So there's two more building blocks here uh, that Paul mentions uh, that were in that illustration in the beginning. And so the next building block we're going to focus in on here is grace. The building block of grace. (laughs) Grace is a, a, a broad word in the Christian faith. Grace is, is, is a multifaceted thing, and how it appears in our lives shows up in many forms uh, as well. And here in the text, in verse 7, uh, Paul had just talked about the, the, the seven ones. You know, one body, one spirit, one Lord. We went over that last Sunday in our, our, our study of doctrine. Uh, but he begins again in verse 7 by using again that word one. You know, and what does he say? He says, "He says each one of you has been given grace as Christ apportioned it." And so he's falling off verse six, and he's tying it into verse seven, and he says, "You know, each each one of you has also been given grace by God." And so uh, the NIV starts a paragraph, but the Greek actually doesn't indicate a change in thought from verse six to verse seven, and so that that oneness uh, that we all share is not just the doctrine, but it's also the grace of God, but then, but then he starts to individualize that that oneness and how that oneness is used to build up the church specifically through the the grace that is given. But in, but then he goes on in verse eight. If we go back to the text here, uh, he goes on to verse eight uh, to say that 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 each one of us was given grace in verse seven, and he equates that grace in verse eight to 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 Christ giving gifts to his people. So he literally calls grace here literally. Uh, he calls it as, as God or Christ specifically giving gifts to his people. So, so the grace he's referring to in verse 7 is literally these gifts that he gives, uh, to his people. And so the question is, well, what, what is that referring to? Uh, well, it's, it's obviously referring to the spiritual gifts that God has given uh, to the church and that God has given to individual Christians. Um, and we'll look at some passages that will make that, that clear, uh, but, but it's very clear that that's what he's referring to when you think about what he's talking about specifically uh, within the actual passage. And he actually quotes um, Psalm 68 here in verse 8. He quotes Psalm 68, verse 18. Um, and what's interesting is, is Paul, in, in the letter to Ephesians, says he gave gifts to men, as he quotes Psalm 68, verse 18. But if you literally look at Psalm 68, verse 18, you don't have to turn there right now, it actually says he received gifts from men. And Malcolm came up to me last week and asked me, what, 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 I don't get it. Why, why does the Old Testament say he received gifts from men? But then Paul, through the Holy Spirit and right in the New Testament, says, you know, he, he gave gifts to men. Is this, is, you know, and so sometimes people can say, is this a misquote uh, of the Old Testament? And so Malcolm brought up that question. It's a great question. Malcolm. Uh, but to me, as you look at it, it's a then and now. The picture presented here from Psalm sixty-eight, eighteen. The military conqueror landing, you know, leading his captives and sharing the spoils with his followers. And so, in Psalm sixty-eight, eighteen looks to what Christ will do in His victory on the cross. He He, he will receive gifts from heaven. When When Jesus died and resurrected, He He was elevated and He ascended to the highest point the highest pinnacle there could be in the universe. And so it's referring to that, the the spoil is victory. As you look at Psalm 68, verse 18, it's pointing to what will happen. But then Paul now, through the Holy Spirit, is describing what Jesus has done, and he's saying, and now he's sharing the spoils of victory with God's people. And so so it's a then and now kind of look at Psalm 68, verse 18. Hopefully that satisfies Malcolm, it may not, but amen, I'm working on it. So Jesus came and conquered, and, and now he is sharing the spoils of his victory. Uh, and, and then it goes on to say, um, in verses 9-10, what does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the earthly lower regions. And he who descended is the very one who ascended, higher than all the heavens, in order to fill the whole universe. And then it goes on uh, to also challenge our interpretation. What, what, is, what is Paul describing here? What, what is he talking about? Well, there are different... Uh, interpretations uh, by different theologians as to is referring to the work that Christ uh, did uh, with the old covenant and all the souls under the old covenant while he was in the tomb. First Peter three uh, describes a similar account where Jesus preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago, uh, and so we don't really know exactly what it, 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 it's talking about. But what Jesus did exactly during his victory of the cross is not nearly as important here as what he is now doing. Through that victory, he's giving us gifts. Through that victory, he's pouring out blessings in our lives, and these gifts specifically are these gifts that we can we can use to bless the church and to build up uh, the body of Christ. Uh, and, and verse ten is quite interesting because it says that he descended, but then he ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. And so, you know, how, how could Jesus leaving the earth then? Physically, how is He then filling the whole earth? It doesn't actually make sense. But when Jesus was on the earth, He was one man, physically. And He could only, you know, do His body physically limited Him to do. But then when Jesus ascended back to heaven, what did He send in His place? The Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit is in every believer, then Christ can fill the whole universe with His presence through all the believers. And so it's a, it's a picture, really, exciting, in an exciting way of the power the church has as we use these gifts Christ's given us individually we can fill the world with Him. And one commentary I read said to Paul the ascension of Jesus meant not a Christ-deserted, but a Christ-filled world. So this idea that we're all gifted by God's grace to build up the church, it's exciting. And, and it's also strongly supported in other passages. Romans 12, verses 4-8 through 8, talks about the body of Christ and how there's there's many parts but one body. And it says we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve it. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is encouraging, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And one of the interesting things here is the Bible never talks about natural abilities. We oftentimes think of gifts as our natural abilities. You're good at singing, or you're good at sport, or you're, you're good at drawing, unlike me. You know, whatever, whatever it may be, right? And, but the Bible only refers to our spiritual gifts. It only refers to the things that, that we are given from God to build up His kingdom. It doesn't refer to those natural abilities. Those natural abilities might be used uh, as a side note. To your spiritual gifts. But as far as the church. Uh, it's all about the spiritual gifts that God has given us. And how we are to use those to build to build up the church. And we get very much in trouble. When we start taking those natural abilities. And thinking that those are the things that are really going to change the church. And it becomes quite worldly quite fast. And we have to watch out for that. And so you know it's interesting to think about this. How we actually see the gifts that God's given us. The other passage that alludes to this is 1 Peter 4. And notice sorry back in, in Romans 12. It talks about the grace of God. We have been given different gifts according to the grace given each of us. So it equates the gifts to grace. And again, in 1 Peter 4, it does the same thing. In verses 10 through 11, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Again, the gifts God's given you are how His grace is distributed in our lives. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. So that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. And so God's gifts are are, are more for for others than me, is is what this teaches us. And and without me using the gifts and you using the gifts or gifts that God's given you you actually restrain God's grace from being poured out into other people's lives. That's kind of scary. That's kind of like, whoa! You know, and so we, we, we have to really think, as Christians, if you're a Christian today, we have to think, what am I doing with, with the gifts God's given me? Am I using them to promote self or to promote the, promote the body of Christ? It's a very high call. And it's a very exciting call at the same time, isn't it? That God wants all of us, as Christians... Because he's given us gifts to use those gifts to build up the church. And so bodybuilding is about all Christians, not just some of the Christians. Um, And we can oftentimes think that's about the leadership. And we'll talk about leadership here in a moment. That's the next block we're going to look at. But it's so important that we realize that all those gifts are given to us, uh, that we can all use them to build up then the church. And so the question as a Christian today is not, am I gifted? The Bible already says you are. But am I using my gifts to build the church? Am I using my gifts to build the church? You know God wants you to build up his church with the gifts he's given you. And that's not a that's not a church program. That's that's not a Sunday sermon series. That's just a a spiritual reality for any Christian. And so we have to identify those gifts. Sometimes we're insecure and we don't understand the gifts we've been given and that's where we need each other. And you might need to go today and ask someone what do you think my spiritual gifts are? Uh, is it one? Is it two? Is it three? I, I you know, I think that varies too, but the point is we all have them. And that should motivate us and that should excite us in this idea of bodybuilding. Another thing that should excite us is these two passages. In Ephesians 2, earlier, just you know, a few chapters earlier, Paul says, "...for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us." To do so, so, God in His grace has has set us up, but it's not yet set how that all comes together. This passage says, you know, God has set us up. He, J- Jesus died. He ascended. He gave us the gifts. He set it all up, but it's not set yet. How those, how that blessing, how that grace gets poured out into our lives. And so our job is just, is just to go and find that. Our job, our job is just to go discover that. That, that is our part. And, and that should be exciting. That should be like getting a new gift on Christmas Day. You know, we're unwrapping the gift, you know, we're, as we're living out our Christian faith. I mean, who doesn't, who doesn't love a, a gift? You know, who doesn't anticipate that? Who, who wakes up on Christmas morning hoping for the gift that they've been waiting for, you know, without anticipation, with boredom? No, you it's the opposite. You're excited. You can't wait to open up those presents. And yeah, it's more true of a child, but are we supposed to be like a child when it comes to our faith? And are we supposed to approach God's church and the grace he's given us in the same way? But then the other part of this is, is God's already set it up, but then but then the best is yet to come. First Corinthians two nine. It is written, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. So God said, he set it all up, and it's going to be awesome. He set it all up, and it's going to blow you away. He set it all up, and you can't even fathom how great it's going to be. But again, we've got to then decide to take those gifts God's given us and use them to build up the church. And as we do that, you start to experience a bit of what this is talking about. And as you do that, you start to come more and more on fire for God. You start to see your purpose and you start to see the whole point of why you're in this church uh, locally and universally. And so we don't need to overanalyze you know, anything other than let's just step up and ask God to use those gifts in our lives and see how God will use it in great, great ways. And so what is are my gifts or gift from God that He's graced me with? And how can I use them more in the church are two questions that we'll ask it here at the end, but I want you to start thinking about that right now. What is, are my gift or gifts God's grace me with? And how can I use them more in the church? And I put these questions up at the end because we we'll use them at the midweek we have this Wednesday, uh, for further discussion. So grace and the second building block here as we continue to get through Ephesians 4 is leadership. Grace in the form of gifts is a huge building block in the church and I hope that we all figure out what that is for us and all use it and it's going to be a great, great victory uh, when we all are doing that at the same time in the church and that's always the challenge. But the other thing here is leadership. The passage goes on in verse 11. So Christ Himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip His people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And so there again that phrase fullness of Christ appears in the text, but this time it equates it to the, the work of leadership in the church and how it brings that out, uh, through the work that God calls it to do. And so yes, God has given grace in the form of gifts to every believer, to every qu- Christian. You know, we all help build, but we also see here in the passage certain people are gifted in particular with leadership. Certain people are gifted in particular with leadership. And that is a building block that God uses uh, to bless the church. So we can note here quite things. First is, the origin of leadership in the church is not, I want to be a leader. Someone make me a leader. Or, 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 Tim, I want you to be a leader. You know, someone else telling someone else. No. The origin of, of leadership in the church is, what does it say? Christ gives it. Christ gives leadership to the church. And so we, we, we have to remember this is a, a serious spiritual matter uh that, that Christ expects there to be leadership in his church, and so he gives it accordingly. He gives it accordingly. You know, leadership is part of building the church because because Christ gives it. That's just literally what the passage says. And here we see specifically in verse thirteen, you know, how Christ intends to use that leadership. He says in verse thirteen that he'll use it to produce unity and maturity. And so the whole purpose of the leadership that he's put in place is to produce unity, that we, we are more and more one body, uh, but also maturity if we're a healthy body, that, that we're all that God wants us to be. And, and so back to the text here, um, in verse 11, it, it says there are, actually four, maybe debatable five offices of leadership that Christ gives to the church. Um, The first two are, are active today, but they're not literally present referring to the apostles um, and the prophets. Um, so we'll go through this just a little bit, and then we'll look at the the other two or three, depending on how you interpret it. I'll explain that in a moment, uh, which are present today um, in the church. So the first two he mentions here uh, in leadership are the apostles and prophets. Um, a little overview of the apostles. Uh, they, they were men who had a unique role. Historically and spiritually, alongside Jesus when he was here on the earth, First Corinthians nine one through two. You can look at it later. It says that an apostle was someone who witnessed the resurrected Christ, and so not not just anyone could be an apostle, but someone who saw uh, the resurrected Christ. These were also people and men who were commissioned by God. Twenty eight, eighteen to twenty. Jesus commissions them to make disciples of all nations. Again, in Acts one verse eight, he tells them to go to the ends of the earth. Uh, being His witnesses. Uh, and there were also men who confirmed the Gospel. Uh, Jesus speaks of this in John 14-16 through 16 in several places, how they'll be guided into all truth. But the other place that literally says it, Hebrews 2, uh, verse 3, the Scripture I've quoted here, that, that these men, they confirmed to us what Jesus said. Do we have the record of that today? Yeah, it's your New Testament. It's the 27 books of the New Testament. This is the confirmation of what the apostles saw uh, and what they confirmed when it comes to the gospel. So, so the apostles are not, are not alive today. And that's one of the challenges in people with, with people doctrinally who believe in the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit. Speaking in tongues and healing and prophecy. Uh, but if you go through the New Testament, you'll see that it was all apostolic in its, in its origin and in its use. And so once the apostles died off, uh, perhaps we need to understand that, that those things died off too That's another Bible study for another day If you have questions about that, please see me later um, But the apostles are no longer here today That's clear, but they're still working Through the message they've given us uh, Through the word of God, and praise God for that The other part of the prophets The prophets are a bit more mysterious You know, When we hear prophet, we think of all kinds of things, right? Uh, one commentary I was reading this week said They were men, prophets And there were women who were prophets too Who were given, as were the apostles, particular insight into the doctrines of the faith. They were under the immediate influence and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, which distinguishes them from teachers. The prophets did not so much foretell the future as foretell the will of God. In foretelling the will of God, they necessarily to some extent foretold the future because they announced the consequences which would follow if men disobeyed that will. Uh, And then you actually find a couple of references to the prophets and it's always alongside the apostles actually in the New Testament. First Corinthians 12. Uh, Verses 27 to 28, it says, you are the body of Christ, as Paul speaks to the church in Corinth, and each one of you is a part of it, and God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, and he says, second, prophets, so they're not as equal to the apostles, but they're right alongside them in that list, and then they literally are alongside them in, in Ephesians 3. Uh, verses four through six, the other passage I have quoted there for you, that you can look up a, a little later. Paul is speaking of the mystery of Christ there in Ephesians three, verses four through six, and he says um, this mystery has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. And there he lays the prophets right alongside uh, the apostles. And so the apostles and prophets' leadership is still working today, but they're not present today. And it's a foundational part of the leadership that God, uh, you know, put in place. Um, and, and, And so... Uh, Ephesians two actually again reminds us of that in verses nineteen to twenty. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of His household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus Himself as the chief cornerstone. And so again, the, it's the foundational work, the foundational leadership that we're. We're still standing on today, and praise God for that, that allows us uh, to build the church more and more and more through the apostles and prophets. But then he goes on to speak of present forms of leadership that still exist in the church today. Uh, then he talks about evangelists. And he talks about pastors and teachers. And so, evangelists. Uh, today we might think, hear the word evangelist and think of some guy who's on TV and flies a big you know, a Learjet around and makes lots of money. And That is a serious distortion of the word. <laughs> But word literally means someone who would bring the good news to a new area. That, that, that's what an evangelist was, uh, and that's what the Greek word actually literally means. That's where we get the word. Uh, they were traveling missionaries. Uh, and if you look in the New Testament, they were not wealthy uh, at all. And they certainly weren't on TV, TV. Not that it's wrong to be on TV necessarily. But um, these men traveled from place to place to, to preach the gospel and seek and save the lost. Uh, and they oftentimes were men who traveled around. Um, it's interesting though, the New Testament actually only calls one man an evangelist. Anybody know who that is? Timothy Timothy's not called an evangelist. He's called to do the work of an evangelist. In 2 Timothy 4 verse 5, that's the other scripture I've quoted here. But that, that, that that's where you find the answer. It's Acts 21 verse 8. It's Philip. It's Philip. They go to Philip the evangelist's house. He's a guy I can relate to in a lot of ways because it goes on to say he had four daughters. But anyway, um, I like Philip a lot. But he's actually the only guy in the whole New Testament who, who actually is called an evangelist. Um, people believe many of the men in the New Testament were evangelists and that they went and preached the word and and, and, see, and saved the lost. And so we get a bit of a definition, though, uh, from 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 4. It talks about preaching the word and, and, and obviously then do the work of an evangelist is what it says there. Discharge the duties of your ministries. But we also see this title given to Philip. Philip, it says there in Acts twenty one eight was one of the seven. Philip originally was a deacon. If, if in Acts 6 they appoint these seven men to take care of the Grecian widows, those are the first deacons we might say are servants. Uh, so Philip and then, then, after the persecution, is, goes to Samaria and helps Simon the sorcerer become a Christian. And then he eventually ends up in his hometown of Caesarea, and that's where he encounters Paul uh, on his missionary journeys here, as it's mentioned in Acts 21, verse 8. So so that's more of a biblical viewpoint of of who, who were evangelists then and who still are and should be evangelists today. So it's something as a church we believe that you appoint You appoint someone as an evangelist who is preaching the word, who is seeking and saving the lost. Um, uh, And I had the privilege of getting appointed in our fellowship back in Virginia in uh, 2008, uh, you know, a while ago. But it wasn't that all of a sudden now I had to do that. I was already doing that work. And the church that I was a part of uh, locally said, we think he's now ready to be appointed uh, in this position. Um, And so, same thing with elders, you know, you, you you don't... Work and then all of a sudden you become an elder. You do the work of an elder, and eventually the church recognizes that and appoints you as an elder. And so, and that's you know, the other form here that that that, that uh, Paul mentions is pastor, teacher, pastor. We don't we don't hear elder; it's a different word, um, but it's actually quite similar. Uh, it literally means shepherd. It can also mean overseer. Uh, and we know uh, when you look at the descriptions of elders in the New Testament, they are shepherds of the flock. First Peter five one through four. They are overseers. Uh, you know, uh, and so we, we're, we're, we're quite sure, although it's a different word translated from Greek to English here, and it's not elder that this is referring to an elder. A pastor is an elder. Um, someone can 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 pastor the church and shepherd the church and not be an elder. And our church has been blessed to have people who have done that over the years who aren't, you know, necessarily elders right now. Uh, but those, that's the distinct here is that we believe it's referring to an elder. Um, and, and and notice in, in your your English it says it says pastor and teacher. And that's the only section that has like... An and. and so the question is, is teacher a separate leadership position? Uh, it can be, because Acts 13, Acts 13, verse 1, the church in Antioch, had prophets and teachers, and they send out Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey. And it doesn't say that teachers were necessarily elders, but an interesting passage is 1 Timothy five seventeen: The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. And so based on that, that passage, based on the way the Greek is, likely that it's referring to an elder as someone who also should be teaching the church. Um, and so it's kind of making that distinction there, perhaps, uh, in Ephesians 4, because it certainly makes it in 1 Timothy 5, uh, verse 17. And so, leadership of the past that we're still being blessed from, and leadership that presently as a church we can have, uh, that is biblical, is what Paul is referring to here. And in in, in, in he says specifically in verses 12-13, what they do is they equip God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And so so leadership today in God's church uh, should be equipping God's people and building up the church toward unity and toward maturity. So, So Jesus gave the church leadership past and present, to equip and build the church. And so, for us today, we have to ask ourselves, well, how ought we be then toward this idea of leadership? Whether it's literally a person who has this position, or it's just literally our viewpoint of it as a church. It's a good question, right? Because it's very significant, clearly, uh, because without this happening, how could the church be built up? Um, well, well, I think it's, it's, it's a few things here that, that challenge me, and I think we need to think about it. The first is, with, with, with biblical leadership, we must be selective. Biblical authority uh, is not for everyone, and and according to the the New Testament, evangelists and elders both have authority biblically, uh, and and that's why you select certain men into those positions, because not everyone should be in that position. There are biblical qualifications, so we don't need to be fearful, we need to be careful uh, with biblical leadership, and that's why we we need to be selective. the other side, though, of that selectivity uh, is: is, is, if, is if God has selected biblically qualified leaders, well, then we need to we need to follow that leadership. If Christ gives the church leadership, and, and the local church selects, you know, people in those positions, then we need to, we need to follow and trust that leadership and that process. It doesn't mean that those leaders are flawless. It doesn't mean that those leaders cannot even be taken out of that position. Absolutely, those things are true. There's no lifetime appointments here. Uh, you know, you have to you have to live out those qualifications uh, the entire time you're in that particular position. Uh, but but that's a mature view of leadership, and that's a biblical view of leadership. And we have to ask ourselves as a church, do we have that? Do, do, do we have that trust in the process and that trust in biblical selection and following in that? And that's the other thing is we can't just be selective. We also have to be receptive. We have to be selective but also receptive uh, with leadership. You know, if leadership is trying to equip and build, then we must be willing to follow. And that's why if, if the church leadership calls a meeting that they want everyone to be at, that's why we should try to be there. Amen, we can't make all the meetings, but, but the church only has so much time. I mean, Cameron, amen, I appreciate his humility about you know how much time he spends on his cell phone. I think we all probably were convicted on that one, and maybe should get the app. But anyway, that's a side note. But, but you know, for me, I'm an evangelist in our church. I only ha- how many hours a-, a month do I have with you guys to equip you and to help you build unity and mature I not don't, I don't have that many hours. We're talking about as far as services as a church altogether. How many hours is it? Two hours on a Sunday? Well, hour and a half. Hour and a half. That's do the math, right? That's six hours a month on a Sunday, right? Right, yeah. Stay with me on the math. Make sure I'm doing it right. And then how long is our midweek? It's about an hour. And we have two of those a month. So we're talking about eight hours in a whole month. That's all, that's all I have or any other biblical leader to, to do this job. That's one work day in the work world. So really, if anything, I've justified had more meetings. Every, no, I'm not, I'm not saying that yet. I'm not saying that. But I do think we need to take a step back and ask ourselves, I'm not even making all the meetings that the body's having, but I expect the leadership to equip me and unify me and mature me. Something's got to give. And maybe we need to meet more. I don't know. I'm, not, I, I'm just, you know, throwing that out there. But do you understand what I'm saying? This is really important for us to live out And become the church that God wants us to be. So I really want to encourage us to make all the meetings. Because that's the intent of these meetings. Is to make sure everyone is equipped. Everyone is unified. Everyone is mature. Um, And yeah, amen. We have times outside of the meetings. And we need to. Uh, You know, and leadership needs to be available outside of those meetings. Absolutely. But that's a really important aspect. We've got to be selective but also receptive uh, to leadership. And this is not easy. From New Testament times to today... Leaders have abused authority in the church. But also, churches have abused leaders. Yeah. Start in the New Testament, come to today, it goes both ways. So this is not an easy thing. It's, it's actually a challenging thing. And, and that's the other, the other part of this process. We have, to be, uh, you know, we have to be selective, we have to be receptive, but also we have to be corrective. We have to be corrective. It's going to get off sometimes. We're going to have to ask people to step out of positions sometimes. We're going to have to uh, repent and follow people in leadership sometimes. We're going to have to always work on that. Because verse 13, what does it say? It says, all this will happen until, until, where is it? Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Until all of us reach it, we've got to keep working at it. And that's going to take humility and, and that correction when we get off track. It's a great uh, illustration here as we close out our time um, and ask a few questions here. Uh, anybody heard of a sandhill crane? You guys have cranes here in, 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 in England. I, I think the sandhill crane is a specific breed more in North America. But cranes in general, they, they fly very, very long distances. And they're very large birds. And, and uh, Bruce Larson in his book, Wind and Fire, points out some interesting facts about sandhill cranes. He says, these large birds who fly great distances around, across continents have three remarkable qualities. First, they rotate leadership. No one bird stays out in front all the time. Time. Second, they choose leaders who can handle turbulence. And then, all during the time one bird is leading, the rest are honking their affirmation. So that's a pretty good model for leadership, I think. We can learn from the birds. Jesus said we should, right? It's shared leadership in the church. It's not, not one man or one woman at the top. It never was God's plan. It's team leadership. Absolutely. Absolutely. But second, not everyone is qualified to lead. We've got to be able to handle the turbulence, and that's part of being a biblical leader. You've got to be able to handle the turbulence. But third, and this is the part we can all do for sure, is we got to be honking, honking for the leader, you know, and encouraging them when we're flying through the turbulence. But it's so easy when we're going through the turbulence to get mad at the leader and stop honking. And so, it's a rather. And he would be hawking today. And, you know, hawk, I don't even know what that means. But uh, you understand what I'm saying. It's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful picture of, of if we do leadership God's way, it can really work. And, amen, it's not the most important thing. It's one of the building blocks. But it's an important building block that we must have. Biblical, shared, supported leadership is a must for us to be a healthy church body. And so let's keep hawking at that, Amen. Or you can honk. Amen. So some closing questions here uh, that we're going to discuss at midweek that I hope we'll all digest on and, and pray about and get in our Bibles before we even get to Wednesday night. Uh, if you're visiting with us and you want to join us Wednesday night, uh, we're at, not here. We're at King Edwards uh, School for Girls uh, up in Handsworth. And on our website, burnhamchurch.org.uk, you can get all those details. We meet at 7.15 for a 7.30 start. And parents, don't forget we're dropping the kids off right when you arrive in the sixth form now, to give us more time. So some closing questions. First, we've got to think, what is, are my gift or gifts from God, and how can I use them more in the church? And second, do you have a biblical view of leadership? How can you better follow leadership in the church? And how could this benefit you and others? This is not a negative thing. It's a quite positive thing, if we do it God's way. And the other thing is act. Make the midweeks in the month of August Make the family group meetings. Our family groups are trying to meet once a month to also discuss these things. And I think in our family groups, that's where the wedge will get more pointed. Because we have more of a relationship. We have more of an understanding uh, with one another. And the other part of act is engage more with your gift or gifts in the church this week. Stop sitting around waiting for me to tap you on the shoulder to use your gift. I, I, I need to equip you and, and prepare you as much as I can. But I've done that today, I think, by pointing out that you are gifted. And God wants to use that gift in your life to build up the church. And so go after that. What does is, what is the Holy Spirit put it on your heart to go after? And amen, if it's, a, if it's on a church-wide level, well, you might need to talk to the church leaders about that before you implement it. Next Sunday, we're changing the Sunday service. Well, amen, maybe you're right. Maybe that's a gift that God has given you and we need to listen to it, but please see me before you do that. But I'm not talking about church-wide things. I'm just talking about your individual life and how God can work through you. And I think you understand the difference. And so amen, let's pray. As we close out our time here and let's continue to build up this body together through the grace poured out through gifts and through leadership. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much. We just the more I look at what Jesus did for us through his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross, the more I'm just I, I realize I don't get how much in me, how much he's done for me, how much he's provided for me, God. Through his death, he's not just uh, forgiven us. He's not just sanctified us. He's not just uh, cleansed our consciences. He's not just rebuilt our, our dreams and our hopes and our lives. God, he's, he's given us a purpose. He's given us gifts, God, uh, that we can use to build up your great and awesome kingdom. What a privilege it is, God, then, uh, to be your people and to use those gifts, God, to build up your kingdom. Help us, God, each one of us as Christians in this church, to do that. Uh, we also pray, God, for biblical leadership in the Birmingham Church, we thank you for the deacons who are recently appointed an example, God, of biblical leadership. We thank you for uh, uh, the church supporting that and getting behind that. And we pray, God, you use deacons to build up this church more and more. Uh, we thank you, God, uh, for the office of evangelists. May we always have that in this church. But we do pray, God, one of the elders in the Birmingham Church. Uh, we know we want, we want that as well, God, elders uh, and teachers, God, in the church who continue to be used by you, God, to build the church up. And we pray, God, that each of us can do our part. Uh, to go after that in our own lives and to support that biblical leadership process, God, as we move together. Please be with us, God. Uh, please help us to be like those sandhill cranes, uh, to 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 really trust each other, to work with each other, to correct each other, and to honk at each other, God, spiritually, as we continue to build up your church here in Birmingham. God, we love you. Uh, we thank you, God. We pray for all those who are visiting with us today. If they're not Christians, God, they can think about uh, their life, and they can think about why are they here, and what are you calling them to, God? And they can seek You, God, through our fellowship today. And they, they can seek You, God, by sending the Bible with us. God, we love You. We thank You so much for this time to build up Your body. And as a Burnham Church, we, we pray together and we say, Amen. Amen. Thank you.